Well, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to open up your Bibles to Matthew 24 as we launch into our fourth week of our series. It's entitled, Now That's a Great Question. We have dealt with questions like, so why would a loving God send people to hell? Questions like, what's really happening when I pray? Uh, Last week, uh, Steve Fowler tackled the question, what happens when I die? And this week, question, is Jesus coming back soon? Now, in light of the uh, circumstances of May 2011, that really is a very, very interesting question. And uh, I think there have also been some very, very interesting answers, like this one. (laughs) And you know, I I just got to say that that was awkward. I don't know how many of you launched into conversations, uh, maybe like I've had with some people. Yes, the Bible speaks about the end of time. Yes, God has some very specific messages to us about when he's returning. But let me tell you, the scriptures have some other information that you really need to understand. The last time I checked, the only person that had the authority to say, and I guaranteed it, has a name with three letters. And it's spelled God. And with all respect, Mr. Camping, you are not him. So this morning, what I want to do is I I want to dive into the scriptures and to take a look at what Jesus himself had to say about the end times. Now, to be fair, I, I think that God can use anything, and a worldwide conversation about the return of Jesus isn't such a bad thing. And a discussion about, about what God cares about is an important thing. But I think it's vitally important that we really get a handle on what those things are. So, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24 and dive in right here to verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Stop. You may be aware that that the setting for this story, it's called the Olivet Discourse, one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It's called Olivet because it was spoken on the Mount of Olives, just east of the city of Jerusalem. This is Tuesday of Holy Week, the week that Jesus would go to the cross and die. You remember Sunday, the, the day of palms, Palm Sunday. Victory, we've arrived, we're here. All things will be set straight, many thought, and one will sit at your right and one at your left, and Jesus will overthrow the Romans, and they were ecstatic to be in Jerusalem. Monday comes, and the wheels start to fall off. Some unexpected things happen. The cleansing of the temple. 
Jesus sees the money changers and is angry and turns the tables over. And the Pharisees, they confront Jesus. Who gives you the authority to speak in, these, in this way? And all of a sudden, Tuesday arrives and it was not quite what the disciples expected. If you read Mark 13, don't, don't turn there, a parallel passage to this. It goes on to say that the disciples touring Jerusalem, what magnificent buildings. Look at this temple. Look at the stones. Isn't this a great place? And it's all going to begin here. All will be made right. We pick up the story in verse 2. Jesus has a different agenda. You see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone Every one of these stones will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So in a similar way to the question that we have today, Jesus was asked and responded. Now, sometimes the scriptures can be so intimidating, can't they? You read through them, and what, what does this mean, and how does this all lay out? And as I've studied this passage, I, I really want to present it to you in three parts. I think there are three parts that correspond with Jesus' response, because I think his, his response was given in three parts. The first part was the, the signs of the end of the age and his return, the signs of his return. The second part, I think it was the timing of his return. So we'll look at some things about timing. And the third part is the preparation for his return. Words spoken to people like you and I. He spoke these to his disciples, followers of Christ, and they would apply to any who would choose to follow Christ. So hope to, to bring this all together at the end and, and ask the question, well, how does this relate to us? Okay, so let's dive in. Part number one, Jesus' response to the question, what will be the signs of your coming? I'll call it the, the signs of his return. Verse 4. So Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will, will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now notice in the list on the screen that all six of these things, hey, they took place in history. No question about it. They happened in the first century and the second century and every century to follow. These things have occurred and they're occurring now. If we were to take time to, to look at the, the increase of wars and famines and earthquakes, it would simply tell us the obvious that they have in fact increased. So to this point in Jesus' response, we would say, well, Lord, but it's all happened. 
Then we get to verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, some of you have uh, maybe from time to time said to yourself, wow, at Salem Alliance, it seems like we hear a lot about uh, international work. You know, we have partnerships with Middle East. And we have uh, our, our Life Path team has a partnership with Russia. And we send teams to China and South America and all over the world. And, and, and this morning, case in point, another uh, small group project heading out to the Middle East. Uh, this passage that we're reading right now, verse 14, this is the motivation and, and the basis by which we have set our strategy. The Salem Alliance Church, part of a larger organization called the Christian Missionary Alliance, and, and many other denominations and churches would say, this passage, it tells us, somehow in God's mysterious plan, he has said, here's your part, church. This is your part, my followers. Going, sending, praying, giving. Everybody has a part because the, world, the work of worldwide evangelization is critical to the return of Jesus. The gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. Part one, signs his return. Well, let's look at part two in verse 36. He goes on, and, and I call it the, the timing of his return, the timing of his return. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, the, the flood waters, they, they seemingly came out of nowhere at the time of the flood, and, and that's how it will be when Jesus comes back, seemingly out of nowhere. The Father knew, and only the Father. Not even the angels, nor the Son. Let's go back to May 21st just for a moment. Frankly, that was just a big mess. Scripture tells us clearly there is only one individual who knows the specific time of the return of Christ. So anytime you hear a specific day or hour, there's one thing you know. That's not the correct day or hour. It's it's so unique to the Father to understand this information that not even the angels or the Son know. Which leads to another question. I thought Jesus was God. So how is it that he doesn't know? Well, one thing's certain. Isaiah 55 tells us that his ways are higher than our ways and beyond our ways. And there's much that we, that we can't understand. But I, I do know this. Philippians chapter 2. Apostle Paul speaking about the deity and the humanity of Christ says this. Jesus, although existing, the form of God, although he was God, scriptures say, Philippians 2, he emptied himself. He gave up the prerogatives, the, the privileges. He gave up 
the rights of God, and he became, he took, it says, the form of a man, a form of a bondservant. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. He was on a mission. And somehow in that divine interchange, the only one would know the time or the hour. Hey, that was given to the Father. Jesus is coming back. The world needs to hear. And until that day comes, he says, I want you to be ready. Part three, the preparation. The preparation for his return. Verse 42. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect. And then over to verse 21 of chapter 25. These are the words Jesus longs to say to you and to me after we have proven ourselves ready for his coming. His master replied, well done, good job, good faithful servant. Well, this is the time of the year that is one of my favorites, family vacations. Uh, Not growing up in Oregon, we used to drive up Interstate 5 and cut over around uh, Roseburg, I think, and head over to the coast. And uh, the the summers camping at Honeyman State Park were some of my favorite, uh, favorite family vacations. Well, I found out a while back that not every memory of family vacations was all that fond. See, I I came to understand that my kids, they they would rotate the front seat because, in in their words, dear old dad was known to fall asleep at the wheel. Now, you know, I never saw that, so I don't have evidence for that, but this is what I've heard. And, hey, to, to my defense... Uh, Janet, my, my dear bride, who I uh, confirmed yesterday, her strategy for long family trips was soft music and warm temperatures. <laughs> sort of like a virtual cocoon, like sort of a womb with a view. And so I would be lulled to sleep. I, I, I discovered the reality of this uh, one summer when... I don't know if it was Ryan or John Mark, maybe it was you. One of the kids was sitting up in the front, and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, my, my shirt gets yanked. Dad, your eyes are closing. Wake up. Well, my kids, I don't think they're the first to issue a wake-up call. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, come the hour, the hour, it's here. Watch and pray. Jesus goes off and he prays. He comes back to his followers and they're asleep. You, you couldn't even stay awake for one hour. Wake up! Matthew 24. What matters most 
when I return is are you ready? Are you watching? Wake up. Some of you are asleep at the wheel of your faith. Some of you are nodding off. Pay attention. I think if, if Jesus would have given us a bit more of the story, he would have said to the disciples, wake up from, from these competing agendas. I did not come to overthrow Rome. At this point, I came to go to the cross. I'll be dead in three days, he told them in Matthew, a few chapters before. Three days, I'll be dead. They couldn't understand it. What? These beautiful stones, leveled? You gotta be kidding. When's this gonna happen? And when are you coming to fix it and put it all right? Wake up, disciples, wake up. Let go of, of these personal agendas. I'm not here to fix the political systems. I'm not here to fix the government. I'm here to fix hearts. That's my agenda. Church, some of us need to wake up. We've all got agendas. If I were God for a day, I'd do things a lot different. There's a lot of things that I would script out and say, well, that's not working clearly, so let's try a different method. And God says, in my time, in my time. We need to wake up from, from some of our personal agendas with how church should be run, how worship should sound, how to interpret some scriptures. We need to wake up from some of the things that, that are in our hearts and minds that, that keep us from fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. I'm gonna get a little personal here. Some of us need to wake up from our excuses. Ah, I really don't have time I know I didn't have time yesterday, and I'm probably not going to have time tomorrow. You'll be there when I get back. I, I really don't have room. You know, if, if all the bills get paid, then, then, you know, maybe I can give a little. And, you know, the, the people at the church, they're doing a nice job in serving. And, you know, look at what's happening at Broadway Commons. You, you clearly don't need me. Plus, I got a business to run. I mean, I got kids to raise. I got responsibilities. I'll get back to you, God, on that. Hey, some of those things are God-given. Our families, our responsibilities, you better believe it. Our businesses, absolutely. And they've been given to you for one reason, to glorify God. All of those things are designed to serve his purposes, not yours. Some of us need to wake up and the excuses that we toss out there for not serving or not giving or not being all there for him. He's made you and I for a reason, to be with him forever. That's it. End of story. He returns and all will be as he designed. All of this, hey, it's prep. We're just getting ready for what he really designed us to do. Some of us need to wake up from our compromises. 
Some of us are conducting ourselves in a way that we would not want the Father to have seen what we did last night. Some of us are conducting our lives in a way we would not want the Father to be riding in the front seat with us. The way we speak, the way we treat our own bodies, the way we treat other people. Some of us have, have compromised relationships. Some of us have compromised in the attitudes that we, that we allow to, to grow in our hearts and in our minds. We're more involved in gossip than we are in building up. Some of us have, have compromised our time with God to the point that we don't understand what this book is saying. Wake up. This is the bread of life. This is the word of God. This is how we're to live. Don't just come here on Sundays and expect to hear it and that's enough. That's just the beginning. You need to take it home and wrestle with it. What are you saying to me, God? What do you want me to do with this? What does this mean in my life? Some of us, we need to confess our sin. Sin that has separated you from God. You need to stop. You need to say, God, this is not pleasing to you. It's caused me to be far, far away from you. I know that's not where I want to be, but I, I just seem to keep going there. Hey, if there's, if there's habits in your life, talk to one of us. But don't let it go unchecked. Jesus says, when I come back, this is what I expect. If you're my follower, I expect that you're ready. I expect that if you said, I am wholeheartedly committed to you, I expect you to mean that. Scriptures tell us, just as he left one day, he will return to a cloud. Everybody will see him. No surprises on that day. And the, the best description, the day that we see Jesus, is found in Revelation 19. And I want to read a portion of this to you because the place to start in being prepared, it's right here. It says, the, it says the, the body of Christ is worshipers, not just this group, but all of us. In spirit and in truth, saying, you and you alone are God. Change my heart. Make me ready for you. Revelation 19, 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder. <laughs> 
shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, has given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write these words down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's us. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, don't do it. Don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Father, we are so prone to wander. We are so prone to excuses, compromises, Father, like, like the disciples before us, Father, our, our hearts are to know you, to follow you, to serve you, and yet so often we, we fall short of that. Holy Spirit, do a work in our lives. Do a work in our hearts. Change us, Father, from the inside out that we would, found, we would be found to be ready at your return, whether it's today, a year from now, or a hundred years from now. Make us the kind of people that would take the gospel to the nations. Make us the kind of people that when others see us, they would say, that person must know God.